Indeed, thanks Ben and it's good to be with you. Uh, always appreciate and enjoy the opportunity of being together with other people that love God and uh, that's what it's all about. So Heather and I are really glad to be here with you. It's interesting, isn't it, when we think about the fact that in Acts 16 it talks about people's stories and... Um, I think we're there. If we think about SBS's, uh, one of their slogans, it's just that, isn't it? Seven billion stories and counting. And indeed, as we think about the fact that here this morning, I haven't counted how many are here this morning, but every one of us has a story, don't we? Something that's going on in our lives. As as, um, Grant was praying, or Garth was praying, Garth was just reminding us, wasn't it, that there's different things going on for every one of us. We might have had a new grandchild this week. We might have got a new job this week. We might have been given a diagnosis from a doctor that was really shocking and frightening. Every one of us, as we come this morning together, we have a different story, something that God is doing in our lives that might feel really uncomfortable or might feel really positive and encouraging. And we love stories, don't we? I don't know about you, whether you like going to the movies. I went to the movies recently and uh, saw the, the movie about the story of Captain Richard Phillips whose ship was taken hostage by Somalian pirates, 2009. And the movie tells the, dramatic, the story of his dramatic rescue. Perhaps you've seen The Blind Side, the movie about Michael O'Hare, uh, that African-American, a boy who was adopted by a family and ultimately shown what love essentially was all about or care and he went on to become an all-American football star. You can have a look, Google him, have a look, but he still um, plays football. Well, what about Stuart Diver? Anyone remember the TVs just going constantly for three days? Back in 1997 when at Threadbow there was that disaster of the landslide and it was nearly three days before Stuart Diver, the only survivor of that landslide, was actually rescued. And we saw it there on our screens. didn't matter what time of day it was, you could actually see what was actually happening. So there's some stories, and it's interesting, isn't it, how when you're in a story, you're absolutely absorbed. Talk to Heather about just watching the last 15 minutes of the movie of Captain Phillips the adrenaline rush in terms of the intensity of what was happening in that story was quite amazing. And so for us as we get involved in our stories, they are totally absorbing, aren't they? And really engaging. And what we need at those times is others to be able to come into that story and ultimately to see God come into that story and here in Acts chapter 16 and if you've got a Bible I'd really encourage you to have it open so that you can see as we look at three personal stories here that absolutely changed the lives of these individuals. Why? Because they were had an opportunity to experience God in their lives. They had an interaction with Jesus. As Garth reminded us, Paul is on his second missionary journey And he primarily went to follow up the various churches that he'd planted during his first missionary journey. But here he gets to a point. Where's he going to go? And he wanted to go into Bithynia. 
the Holy Spirit stopped him. He wanted to go back into Asia, the Holy Spirit stopped him. And God leads us in different ways, doesn't he? And ultimately, the door opened, he had a vision and God led him into Macedonia, into Philippi. Again, where are we at at the moment? Are we at a crossroads? Is there a decision that we need to make about which direction to go? Does it seem that there's been roadblocks put up? That we think we, that's where we need to go but God's saying no. Or are there some open doors for us to go through? You know, sometimes God's, um, or our disappointments are God's opportunities and I'm reminded of a verse in Proverbs and it says this, Proverbs 16 and verse 9, In a heart a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And Paul experienced that. He thought he knew where God wanted him to go at that point in time and yet God had a different purpose for him. He called him over to Macedonia. So they come to Philippi. So Philippi is a a major city in Macedonia, modern day Greece and uh, it's a Roman colony. It's a little bit of Rome. Essentially it's the Riviera, it's the retirement village for Roman soldiers, for Roman civil servants. If you were there you'd have to be able to speak Latin. But it's interesting isn't it that Paul goes along with Luke and with Timothy and with Silas into Philippi and he starts the first church that he's been involved in planting in Europe. And the first three converts you might notice are a woman, a slave and a Gentile. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul, before he was converted, he was a Pharisee. If you were a Pharisee, every morning when you woke up, you'd include in your prayers something like this. You'd say, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman. I thank you that I'm not a slave. And I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. So isn't it interesting that when Paul goes into Europe, the first three converts are those three people. Think about it. We might have biases, we might have bigotry and prejudice in our lives and what God does when he breaks into our story is that he breaks down those walls and we come to understand that indeed Christ died for each one of us and that we're all one in Christ Jesus. We can all be guilty of thinking that, well, I'm a little bit better off or I'm better than that person. And yet in Christ, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And here we have these three wonderful, true, personal stories of coming to faith that we'll look at. And one of the things that I'd like you to think about as we look at these, is what's your story? What is God doing in your life? When you think about what's happened this last week, what is it that you would write down 
and that you would share with someone else about saying this is what God's doing in my life. You know, there's parts of our stories, isn't it, aren't there, that are very easy for us to share. When something good happens, we say, yep, that's great, and we can talk about that. But when God's really at work in our lives, are we prepared to share that? I don't journal very often, but at times I do, and it seems that over these past few months I've been journaling more than I have in the past because God's at work challenging me in some areas that I know that I need to to grapple with and to work with. When being read to us, those 30 odd verses, there's not much there and we had three whole stories. So can I encourage you, even now, on the back of your Connect or your newsletter, there's enough lines there to start sketching out your story of what God's doing in your life at this point in time that you'd be prepared to share with someone else here together. And so the first one is we talk about Lydia. And Lydia is one that had a tender heart. She's the first one. Verse 13 tells us that on the Sabbath day, Paul and his team chose to engage with others who believe in God. It's a good thing to do. For us, it's the first day of the week, isn't it? It's interesting. I know we all take um, long weekends and we enjoy that. Heather and I are always encouraged when we go away overseas or whether we go somewhere else, just away from our own location, to go on a Sunday if we're there, to go to church to have fellowship. So it's good to see someone from Scotland, isn't it? It's great because lots of people, sad to say, take a holiday from meeting with other people on long weekends. So I trust that those that aren't here that would normally be here are taking the opportunity of meeting and having fellowship with someone where they are now so that they can come back and share those stories with us. And so here, Paul does that. He goes down and he engages with those who believe in God. There was no men there. It says that they met with women. It seems that you needed to have at least ten people, to ten men, to have a synagogue. Paul usually went to the synagogue when he went into a new city. There was no synagogue there operating. And so he goes down to the river and he meets with the women that were there for prayer. And verse 14 indicates that Lydia was there. Who was she? She was a businesswoman, a seller of purple, very expensive clothing worn only by the rich. Remember when Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19? What colour was that man wearing? He was dressed in purple. It was a sign of his actual wealth. And here Lydia is an immigrant from Thyatira. She's a worshipper of God. Paul opens the scriptures and she believed. Why did she believe? It's interesting if you have a look in the passage there. It says because God opened her heart. Have you ever been trying to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus with someone and it just seems like it's falling on deaf ears? You know, that it just doesn't seem to be making sense. Even for ourselves, we can be reading the scriptures, we can be in church, we can be doing all the right things and sometimes it just does not make sense. 
You see, God needs to intervene. He needs to open our heart, to open our mind, just like he opened Lydia's. But you may have had the opportunity of sharing with someone and they're ready to listen. Some of the women at our church are having the opportunity of getting to know an immigrant, a a, a woman who is a hairdresser from another country who's not that long been in our country and she's set up a little hairdressing saloon and so a number of the women have been going along getting their hair cut but having the opportunity to get to know her. And it's interesting to see how God has opened her heart to respond to the good news about Jesus to the point that just in the last week or two one of the ladies went to have her hair cut and after the hairdresser had actually put some colour into her hair said, look, it's going to take half an hour now for that process to happen. Now we can open the Bible and talk about Jesus. How encouraging is that? Because that's God at work of opening her heart to be able to respond to the gospel. Lydia had a tender heart. Her faith was authentic. How do we know? Because not only did Paul open the scriptures, God opened her heart and then she opened her home. Verse 15, come into my house, she said. You know, if you're persuaded that I'm really now a believer, come to my home so that we can share together. And so it would appear that the church began in her home. A house church started in Lydia's home. Reminds us, doesn't it, about the importance of hospitality. You know, as we open our hearts to God, then we open our homes to one another. That's really important. I wonder how well we do that. What does it say in Hebrews 13 and verse 2? Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing some people have shown hospitality sorry, to strangers for some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Or in 1 Peter 4.9 it says offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sometimes we can have hospitality Sundays, can't we? And we can sort of just say, I really don't like those people that are assigned to me. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe grumble a bit, not quite sure. But in, it says in Romans 12 and 13, to share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. You know, our homes are the starting point for us to share our faith. When we become believers, the first people that will really know that we are fair income for God is our husband or our wife or our kids, our family, because they know what we're really like and they see the differences. Some ways it can seem easier to share our faith with someone that doesn't really know us. We can get away with things. But you see, hospitality is really about sharing the good news. And so when we have people in our homes, they see and understand what makes a difference, what we're really like, what's really important. And so we share our stories together. The second story we have is that of the slave girl and she had a tormented heart. She was a girl possessed by an evil spirit by which she was able to predict the future. She was a fortune teller and she made her master's lots of money. Verse 17 tells us that she followed Paul and Silas around daily and she was constantly shouting that these 
are servants of the Most High God telling us the way to be saved. Now, I don't know, was it because of the negative publicity or was it because you just get absolutely sick of someone barking in your ear all the time? Because it says it actually happened over a number of days that all of a sudden Paul, he got really frustrated it seems to say, that he was very agitated by what was happening that all of a sudden he turned around and he intervened and he commanded in the name of Jesus for the evil spirit to leave her and she was free through the power of God. You know, the spirit world is really, is real. And there is such a thing as demon possession. We mightn't see it very overtly in our country, but our daughter and husband just went on a recent missions trip to India and it was very, very obvious to the point that when they were engaged with that mission team, that when they were doing something, they had people praying for them that the Indian folks said you've got to make sure that there's someone praying for those who are praying because the oppression, the spiritual oppression and attack that happens particularly for those who are praying is very, very real. Do we dabble with this? I trust that we don't. Don't dabble with tarot cards. Don't go to fortune tellers. Don't play games with Ouija boards. Don't read the horoscopes. Even in fun, Leviticus 19 and 31, God says, have absolutely nothing to do with these. And in 1 John and chapter 4, he speaks of testing the spirits because clearly they don't all come from God. And this saved girl, she is rescued. She's saved from demon possession and here she becomes part of the church. It seems because she's listed between both Lydia and the Philippian jailer, that she's one of the three that actually start or are part of the Philippian church. She's trapped. Her mind is controlled by an evil spirit, yet she's set free. You know, our mind is so critical when it comes to spiritual matters. Remember when Jesus freed the demon-possessed man um, in Mark, in Mark chapter 5? What happened? When the townsfolk came out and they got really scared, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. What does Romans 12 and verse 2 say? That if we have a genuine interaction with Jesus, then our minds will be changed. I wonder if that's part of your story and mine, that as you're thinking about the things that God's been doing in your life or the situations that have been happening this week, what has the thinking process been for us about that situation? Have we been bringing right thinking? In that situation that we're saying we might need God's direction, he says the first thing that we need to do is present ourselves to him so that our minds will be transformed so that we can prove or work out what God's will for us is. This church is being established at Philippi. When Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, did I go past it, did I? Yes, indeed. So when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, which is back to this church, it focuses almost completely on the importance of having a right mind. 
He talks about having a joyful mind and in chapter 1, in verse 21, he talks about the importance of a single mind. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 2, he spends all his time speaking to the Philippians about having a submissive mind. Verse 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus and we know about that. He humbled himself. And in chapter 3, he talks about the importance of having a spiritual mind. He talks about those that don't love God saying their mind is set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he talks about the importance of having a secure mind, of having no anxiety about anything but in everything with prayer and petition letting our requests to be made known to God and the peace of God which trans all understanding will what? Will guard, will secure, will garrison your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We need to get our thinking right. How's our thinking this morning about the situations that God is working with us in? Are we thinking correctly? Is God transforming our mind? Like that slave girl, we inadvertently can be slaves to wrong thinking. And in that case, ultimately, our mind can be tormented. But yes, right thinking. However, now there's trouble because of what Paul has done. There's all of a sudden opposition from the owners in verse 19 because they realise that their hope of making money was gone. And so they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them before the magistrates. Interesting, really clever when you read the story, they didn't talk about the fact that they've taken away our livelihood and ruined our business. They actually accused them of disturbing the peace and actually teaching things that were unlawful for Roman people to believe. Doesn't seem that there was much discussion doesn't seem that there was a proper process. It just seems that they were ordered to be stripped and beaten and then thrown into prison. And the jailer, our third person who comes to faith, is ordered to guard them carefully. And so here we have our third story, which is about our jailer who had a toughened heart. It's interesting, isn't it? We are all in different situations Lydia was really, as it were, ripe for the gospel. She was in a situation where her heart was tender. It says that she prayed. She had, or she, no, she said she, she was a worshipper of God, that she had this understanding that there was a God. Whereas the slave girl was absolutely trapped. She had a tormented heart and couldn't do anything herself. And here we have a retired, it would appear, Roman soldier who's now the jailer. Retired civil servants, remember? So probably a retired Roman soldier, a really tough nut, taking on in his retirement the role of jailer. And he's told to make sure that they don't escape because if they do, he forfeits his life. Remember in Acts chapter 8 when Peter and John escaped from jail because an angel came and released them that Herod ordered that those soldiers that were guarding them had their lives taken. It was a life for a life. So he puts them in stocks in the inner room. But what do Paul and Silas do? 
the mission started really well. It's okay. The mission might start well. We trust that it continues well. It's interesting. They come and all of a sudden share the gospel by the river and someone comes to faith. And then, yes, then they have an exorcism and they actually rescue a slave girl. Everything's going great and all of a sudden, now they've been beaten and they're in jail, they could well be saying, God, what is actually going on here? But what do they choose to do? At midnight, it's interesting, isn't it? Midnight's the blackest time of night, isn't it? And here it seems that on their journey, this is the darkest time. What do they actually do? They could be downhearted, they could be upset, they could be questioning. But in verse 25, they pray and sing hymns to God. We have a choice to make. What do we do when things look their blackest. Heather's brother and his wife were teachers at the Murray Christian School in Pakistan in 2002 when it was attacked by terrorists. Sadly, six people were killed. However, none of the school children were killed or harmed in any way. A little book they wrote called Angels in the Rafters provides many examples of the way in which God provided his protection in that situation and examples of afterwards of what God did in people's lives. Little things, like 15 minutes before the attack, it had been raining. That meant that there was only a few students that were outdoors. Everyone else had been kept indoors when it was at a time when most of the students would have been outdoors. Or the old doors, the main doors of the school building. Sure, they had had a new lock and whatnot put on them, but they actually opened outwards rather than inwards. And you know yourself that if you tried using the butts of AK-47s to try and open a door, you would think it wouldn't take too much to open a door, even if it just had one lock, if it opened inwards. But because these doors opened outwards and had the full force of, as it were, the lintel around the outside providing the protection to stop that door being opened, they didn't get in. And there were numerous examples like that. You see, so we have a choice. When things are difficult, will we trust God and rest on him even when we're helpless? And that's what this passage trusts us, asks us to do. I don't know if they expected that God would come and rescue them. I don't know that they were really thinking about God rescuing them. And it's interesting that the prisoners were listening and in Psalm 50 and verse 15 it says, Call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. And more than praying, they sang implying joy in the midst of that suffering. You know, this is something that the world knows nothing about when it comes to Christianity. And if you're in a situation where it's difficult right now and yet you react in a way with God's strength that indicates 
something way beyond yourself, people looking on will see and know that God is real. James 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now I find that a tough verse. I don't like going through tough times. And yet James tells us that it's in those tough times that our faith is proven to be real. Yeah, I'm going through a challenging time that I can think of. You know, my prayer is that God prove my faith to be real in this situation. We can all know what's the right thing. We can all read the right verses. But when we're in that situation, the evidence that our faith is real is paramount to God. That's the outcome that he's looking for. It's not about getting the situation all right out there or making the pain go away. As hard as that is, God wants to use that pain to help prove that our faith in him is real. It's not easy to trust, but we have to rely on God's strength. Philippians 4 and verse 13, he's writing back to these believers and he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And how does God intervene? There's an earthquake. There's lots of earthquakes in that part of the world but this was a special one. Why? Because it shook the foundations and it made the chains come off their arms and it made the doors actually come open. The jailer thinks they've all escaped. He decides to take his own life before others take it for him and Paul calls out and says, hey, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He rushes in and he asks a question. It's often been said to me when I've done training around working with people that it's not about having the right answer in any situation. It's about being able to ask the right question so then you address the situation in the most appropriate way. The jailer asks the right question and the right question he asks is what must I do to be saved? And Paul responds with the simplest gospel message in the whole of the Bible. It's five words. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And the gospel was not only extended to him but all to his house but to his household. They needed to hear it and respond to it for themselves. And just as with Lydia, her faith is real by taking them into her home, he shows his faith is real by actually treating their injuries and again taking them into their home. So the first primary question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Have we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation? I can remember being in a church where a man in his 60s had been in church for many, many years. In one sense thought he'd believed but came to a point in his 60s of actually asking that question 
for the first time and becoming a believer. If you've never done that, make sure you talk to someone here and do that so that you can be made right with God and that's an important part of your story. And if we have, are we continuing to rest on him in the challenging situations that we might find ourselves in? And so the church begins at Philippi. Very unlikely people. A rescued slave girl, a wealthy businesswoman and a public servant, the jailer. And no doubt the families and the households of Lydia and the jailer were part of it too. Suffice to say, it's only Jesus that can create a new community. Indeed, what do we know about this new community? They grew as a church but they weren't a perfect one. They had disagreements, remember? Philippians has written back to this church, Euodia and Syneche were two women that had served by his side in the gospel and they were obviously not agreeing. But we know in Philippians 4 and verse 14 that they were a generous church. And so as you come next Sunday, will you allow God to exercise his work in your heart to come with a generous spirit to actually give to missionaries that are serving him? Here the Philippian church, it says that they were the only church that shared with Paul in sending aid when he was at um, Thessalonica. And they sent gifts to him again and again in jail via Epaphroditus. Philippians 4 and verse 18 tells that. And in 2 Corinthians 8, as part of the Macedonian churches, they gave. You know, here in this church, there are hundreds of faith stories and we need to hear these stories. We need to be encouraged by these stories as we share them with one another. Why? To remind us that we're part of a new community built on Jesus. A community that rises above the social norms, a community that is generous, a community that is hospitable, a community that's being developed and renewed in the image of Jesus Christ and a community where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave or free, neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Monty, thousands of stories and counting. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in our lives We thank you that there are stories here of faith, of you at work in our lives. Father, help us to share those with others. Help us to be part and involved in other people's stories. And Father, as we think about mission, serving both in our workplace or going across to Port Augusta, whether it's going overseas, that Father, we will support and encourage one another as we seek to have people's lives changed because of an interaction that they have with Jesus. And like Father, the first church that Paul planted in Europe 
at Philippi that we might recognise that even though we come from all different walks and backgrounds that we are all one in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.